All right, three, two, one. Welcome to American Soccer Analysis. I'm your host, Harrison Crow. We are super jazzed for, um, heck, winning the group, winning things, winning soccer games, um, hashtag win things. Man, you know, you realize that the U.S. won two games directly after we criticized them heavily. Uh, yeah. I, I think this was I obviously, very obviously. I mean, how many other podcasts haven't recorded between the two wins, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. we were yeah. on MLSsoccer.com. This is a, this is a popular podcast. My friend, we are popular. We are part of, uh, maybe not the cool kids, like the group a cool kids. We're like the group C cool kids. So we're not like the group of death, uh, you know, to where people are, are trampling all over, but we're definitely, um, people have heard of us. It's not like, hey, you know, um, I don't know where Columbia's at. Maybe we're not a Columbia, but you know what I'm saying. What, what, would, what would this podcast be if it was Copa America? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, da, 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 da. Who's really good at math? What country has produces a lot of engineers? <laughs> um, India. Yeah, but that's not, they wouldn't be in Copa America. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to get too racist with this pick. <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, know. I, I don't know what, what who we'd be. We'd be the U.S. because, you know what? We're American soccer analysis. This is, this is that's, an easy that's one. That, there you go. We would be in the group of... <laughs> dang it. We would be in the group of death. Uh, that's okay. I, f- I feel like we'd be Jamaica. We'd be the guy that it's like that it's trying to get Giles Barnes on our team. Yeah, well, the thing about Jamaica is it's really interesting um, that you know they're not going through, but they gave Mexico the best game that anyone's given Mexico in quite a while, and you know, um, like a lot of Concacaf teams, uh, Panama, well, they, uh, well, probably they, not going through, but they've every Concacaf team has, with the exception of uh, like Haiti, has held their own in a major way in a game. You know, Costa Rica went out there and you know uh, knocked down Colombia, even so, though they had nothing to play for. That's so much what I respect about Costa Rica. They had really very little to play for at that stage, and they still uh, just completely uh, played through for it. I, I, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed by uh, the Costa Ricans, and, and really they gave. Uh, the U.S. are a heck of a game. They really did. I mean, uh, I, they tactically screwed themselves over. I think sure, Matt sure, sure. But you no, know, really good point that by not playing the defensive midfielder in that game, they uh, they really just you know shot themselves in the foot, and uh, you know uh, they came back strong. And uh, I have a, a conspiracy theory that, that this is a long con from them, the that they, they knew that uh, if they could. Uh, if they could uh, play dead against the U.S. and then uh, and then you know knock out uh, Colombia because Colombia was weak, then uh, they can keep Jurgen Klinsmann in for the hex. You know, then Jurgen's uh, not in danger of being <laughs> fired, and that benefits them much more 
than you know getting out of this group in a tournament which they may or may not uh, give full credit to. I, I don't think Costa Rica was as bad against the U.S. as everybody says. I do agree that the tactics uh, weren't the, the brightest, and, and they really did um, obviously misplay uh, a few players out of place. Uh, they took a page from the Jurgen Klinsmann playbook in, in that right. Um, but well, uh, here's something I do want to bring up that um, people keep pointing to that game and saying, like, U.S. found their offensive form, blah, blah, blah. Um Expected goals-wise, they put up just as much they put up against Columbia. And then right. people, people will say, well, that's a vindication of a Columbia game. No, it's actually a, you know, it, it was both games they were under a goal, um, depending on uh, how you weight various things. But uh, the models uh, that I've seen, they were both under a goal. They were in the .7 range for both games. So that's an offense that's not, in neither game where they generate enough that you would expect to win a game. Now, Costa Rica didn't generate higher than the U.S., so, you know, they sh- should have won the game. But this is not a, a team rounding into offensive form by any means. The the same offensive struggles we saw in the Columbia game, we saw in the Costa Rica game. And I would argue we saw them even more um, in the, well, I think, 46 minutes we played in the Paraguay game, um, 11 v. 11. Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily think it's about uh, should have won or could have won. I think really what it it does on the micro scale for me is it just kind of um it, it validates or rather invalidates the idea that um there's no luck in this that that the u.s were just purely good um i don't i don't think that that was the case at all i think there definitely was a a, pers- uh, a good percentage of luck because i didn't think that necessarily u.s generated high quality chances um, they definitely created plenty of chances, just the degree, um, it, it really of the chances, you know, not to be redundant, but, uh, well, no, 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 this is something that we did want to, or I wanted to bring right, up and that you wanted to touch on. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I was trying to, trying to carve you a segue and I just <laughs> poorly. No, no, no. I jumped the gun on your segue. Uh, this is what happens when you don't play in a podcast anyway. Um, so the. The keys, I wrote an article uh, recently, or after the Costa Rica game, where I pointed to uh, that the U.S. is having trouble creating shots in the danger zone in this tournament. And th- now this was before the Paraguay game. And the thing about that is, when you look at expected goals models, and if you look at a team that's not doing well in them, generally it's because they're not getting shots in the danger zone, because danger zone shots have a very high expected goal total, because they are converted at the highest level outside of penalty kicks which I guess are in the danger zone technically. Uh, so there's that. And the U.S. simply aren't creating enough shots there. And by creating, I mean, if you look at passing maps, they're not getting key passes in the area. They're not even getting, uh, you know, the only passes that they're even attempting to get into the box are coming from the wings. So, you know, again, then we've talked about this in another podcast, so, uh, or a couple, so I don't want to, you know, rehash this too much. But it does come back to the point that this is a, as predicted, a center mid uh, we have three center mids, or I guess with this 4-4-2, we have four midfielders, none of whom excel at creating chances centrally, and we continue to see a team that can't do that, and I think that falls on the feet of Jurgen Klinsmann. Now, the stat I did want to bring up in all of this is we are currently at, if you look at per 90 minutes in this tournament, and uh, I looked at just just the minutes when we had um, 11 v. 11, so I took out the yellow yeah, minutes because that... Uh, 
the when you, after the Evan Red cards that will skew the minutes a ton. Uh, but we are only getting 1.6 shots per game in the not danger good. zone. Not good at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's not even at two. Um, so conversion wise, you would expect you know maybe half a goal from that uh, at at best a game. Uh, probably more like a third. So the fact of the matter is that we're not setting ourselves up well to score on a consistent basis. Now, when we go into, and everyone's sort of saying that, you know, oh, what a great show of heart in the Ecuador game, and offense came alive in the Costa Rica game. What I'm seeing is a very tepid offense kind of got lucky in the Costa Rica game, uh, got their goal, um, and you would expect out of three games, they would get one from the danger zone in uh, the Paraguay hey, game. Real, real fast, Sean, can you explain what the da- what is the danger zone? Is it ah, yeah, six-yard park, penalty area? Let's use a little bit more uh, descriptive terms real fast. Right, Sorry. right, right. I, yeah, that's something I should have done earlier. So the danger zone is a um, – uh, it's um, if you think of the 18-yard box and you look at the um, – uh, f- uh, if you look at just from the, the goalposts, out to the end line, essentially, uh, of the 18-yard box. That is the danger zone. Uh, So shots from angles within the, uh, uh, you know, angled shots within the 18 uh, in general um, are not in the danger zone. Um, There are specific zone names when you break up uh, a field, but that's the best way I can uh, describe it. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I have a, like, the article I just wrote for LAGC after the uh, Costa Rica game. I have a diagram of it. But yeah, that's the area we're talking about. We're talking about the area directly in front of goal in the box, in the 18-yard box. And that's where we're not getting shots. And it's not necessarily Dempsey's fault or Wood's fault or Jossie's fault or, you know, any whoever is forward at the time because being in the danger zone doesn't mean you're going to get shots there because you still have to get the ball there. And the passes simply aren't getting there. And that's from the midfield that's solely on the midfield so looking at mls right now and just looking there how many shots per 90 are we putting up in the danger zone right uh 1.6 so just just to contextualize this a little bit columbus crew are taking 1.2 shots inside the six yard box every 90 minutes so and they're not doing well well, I mean, that's that's just inside the six yard box. So oh, that's six, not six, the danger. Yeah, I thought you said eight. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. a six yard. Yeah. That's that's not angled shots. That's that's not consi- That's not or excuse me. That's not taking out shots from further on. The danger zone extends all the way th- there to that end of the eighteen box inside right. the posts. So I mean. And really, if you're looking at uh, teams with an MLS in the penalty area, uh, the New York Red Bulls lead with almost nine shots a game from inside. So, yeah, if you're looking at the disparity between this, you'd look for them to at least be in the three, four, maybe even five uh, mark for them to be a really good team. Um, This is a below average showing so far. Not to beat a dead horse, but why does New York um, excel in that area? Well, they have a good channel running forward. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips, who knows how to time a run. And more importantly, they have a attacking midfielder who they have two. can read those runs. Yeah, but they have specifically one that can be called up to the U.S. national team in Sasha Kleshin, who sends in for, um, you know, who sends in through balls all the time. 
gets about four shots, um, key passes per game. So, uh, you know, this is not like this is the problem. There's a problem with the pool. Um, this this is sort of a problem with the roster uh, in the same way that you couldn't blame the U.S. national team. When Jurgen after the World Cup, complained that we didn't have enough speed on the wings, so we weren't an effective counter team. And I thought that was a hilarious criticism of the team when he opted to, you know, drop Landon Donvin, a speedy counterattacking expert. Winger. Yeah, a winger. So, right, it, like, it was it, just an absolutely, you know, t- ridiculous criticism. But that's the coach we have. That's the level of thinking we we get from him. So, uh, yeah, this team— And what happened to happy-go-lucky Sean? I miss happy-go-lucky Sean. Oh, you mean the— <laughs> Yeah, because everyone's because uh, everyone kept calling me negative on Twitter. You're so negative. You can find negativity in anything. Blah 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 blah. I'm being negative because the numbers on this team right now are not good. And I'm sorry. And I'm it's, sure we won a group, um, but did we do well in any of those games? And you know, I I have criticized the Galaxy. There was a New York City FC game last year. Galaxy NYCFC. Galaxy um, blew out NYCFC. And I pointed to a bunch of problems. And I said. This could be a problem down the line. Everyone said, what are you doing? We're up by three goals. What will make you happy? And then sure enough, the Galaxy proceeded to completely fall down the slope. And a lot of the things I pointed out turned out to become major problems. So using results to predict future results is a really, really bad analytic technique. And when people say, oh, we won, so that's all that matters, that's just bad analysis. So I... remove the results i remove the goals and i look at what is the team producing and right now this team isn't producing that 1.6 as we talked about it's a very bad number it's a very bad number and i don't see um you know ecuador is a very strong team I, everyone's saying that we're favored i don't see in the slightest how we're favorites they're they're higher in elo yeah. they're higher ranked they're they have better players um now, now, as far as like favorite I, betting wise there's the understandable of why um, as Danny Page pointed out on Twitter when I when I put up there, uh, according to Elo, um, they're almost eight. I think they're eight spots ahead of us, um, which in and of itself is a pretty uh, pretty good margin. But as, as Danny pointed out, um, it, it's very uh, common for the home team to be favored in betting matches, such as it, when they're isn't such great disparity between the two. And I agree with them. That's, that makes some uh, some sense um, that they're going to be favored from a betting standard, but it's not going to be a very large or very wide gap. Right, but here is the problem with ELO in general. Um, ELO yeah, is no, no, purely... Yeah, no, I, I, yeah I, I totally... I to, I, I, I'm not trying to use that as a basis to say that, that, that it's close. I, I, please don't mistake that. Right, I, I was, I, 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 I was going to throw this out just for the general public. Um, just like I just said that results, result analysis is bad analysis. Result analysis over time can be good analysis. ELO international rankings suffer from a problem that you get, um, they can be swung very quickly because they are based on uh, wins. They're they are based on wins. So if the U.S. had a big ELO swing after being Costa Rica. Now, as we pointed out, that is not a game where they were overly impressive, and they could have, you know, they could have lost that game. So, do they deserve this giant swing based on, you know, this win that maybe wasn't deserved against Costa Rica? There are things like that that come into play, and over time, that will level. So, the current ELO isn't necessarily reflective of the team. If you look at where Ecuador is at and where we are at, I don't think 
we are that close to them ELO-wise. So home field aside, and it will be raucous in Seattle, don't get me wrong, I don't see us as favorites. I don't even see a betting market um, rationalization for this. Um, Ecuador's look good. Maybe it's because we beat them in a friendly recently. I don't know. But for me, this is still a daunting task. And you know, everyone was was excited we've avoided Brazil, even though they didn't go through. But uh, to me, this is still a very, very tough matchup. And I, I we are still the underdogs. So I'm actually putting together uh, some uh, stats for us here real fast on the fly um, in, in terms of uh, current uh, Copa numbers. So, so you're telling me to kill time? Yeah, yeah. Mark off time here real fast. Well, how much? How much you got? I, I got a I got a tight three. Um, if you want, like, uh, you know, some stand up. <laughs> you got you got a type three. What's a type three? A tight a tight three. Uh, that's oh, a three. Yeah, minutes. like a set. Yeah. Piece? So. Have you ever noticed that, like, um? Oh no, no, no! You're not gonna Jerry Seinfeld me, are you? Because no, 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 no. this for three minutes. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be a lot better in Seinfeld. Have you guys ever noticed no. that? Oh, like, you're gonna be a lot better than Jerry Seinfeld. Who the? Yeah. Who do you think you are? Um, someone. Well, I mean, here's the thing about about Seinfeld. Um, Seinfeld, great comedian. Um, humor is both cyclical, but also advances and is reactionary. So. Um, when you look at older comedians, they're sort of like, oh, that's old. So Seinfeld is no longer in, while the things he innovated are very much true, um, and you can respect him. When I say better, I'm, I mean better to uh, this great tight three-minute set I'm going to do, if you allow me to do it, is going to be funnier than to a modern audience than you know if you showed a Seinfeld uh, bit about airline food. Um, you know, what's the deal with airline food? And I think modern audience would go, oh, you know, that's a little little trite, even though it's really good. I mean, people used to think Jay Leno was edgy. So I'm, I'm just saying I'm on the cutting edge. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm on the cutting edge of humor. Now are you going to oh, let me do my... Sure. Go, go. Do, oh, this is so sad. This is... Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. Uh, I, I present to you um, Sean trying to kill time. So have you guys ever noticed in Scooby-Doo, there's always a logic to a world. You know, Pokemon, you have to catch monsters, monsters fight each other. Like, there's always this underlying story logic. What is the underlying story logic of Scooby-Doo? If we really break it down, this is a world where these teenagers go from town to town, and they always happen upon property disputes. And it's always property disputes. There's no, you know, like... The, oh, this, uh, I don't know. Uh, this isn't as tight as I thought it was. Anyway. Yeah. Always property yeah, you're, you're, you're No, 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 no. Okay. Let me finish, Harrison. All right. The bombing is important to a comedian. So with with these property disputes, you know, if I were to have a property dispute with someone, if there was a mansion that I was, you know, in dispute with someone, like if I was disputing with you, Harrison, whether there's this old, you know, haunt, or haunted mansion or this old, you know, uh, amusement park, I would go and I'd hire a lawyer, right? That's the normal reaction. In this world, and this seems to be the, the fundament, the fundamental thing that brings all of the Scooby-Doo universe together, there doesn't seem to be that legal system because the recourse of every person in this universe is, 
I know how I'm going to get that property. I'm going to dress up like a ghost. I'm going to dress up like a vampire. And I just find that absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I can get on board with the talking dog. That's, you know, that's standard cartoon stuff. But this world where, like, policemen exist but lawyers don't, I'm not buying it. First of all, not not three minutes. Second of all, that was <laughs> terrible. So, uh, yeah, maybe to you, maybe to you, but I think the younger, the younger generation uh, really approved of. Uh, I don't really approved no. of the humor. No, I I don't think there's any no. No, I I, I would disagree. I I can hear I can hear the future. The future laughter now. I think this is going no, to be. No, they're a, laughing at you for thinking that. I think. I think the this might be a. I think Huffington Post comedy might be putting this up, because um, they don't do uh, original content. They just sort of, you know. Oh, wasn't this funny? What Will Ferrell did. I think uh, that's what we're gonna see. Okay. Well, this didn't work out nearly as well as what I thought it would. Um. So I really don't have it in front of me anymore. So how about that? How do you like the? How do you like that? Damn. So, so do you want me to kill more time? Do you want me to go into another? No, just, you know what? This makes for lousy radio. Basically, what I, I kind of wanted to do on the fly here was just kind of look over um, how how some of these guys are doing in terms of uh, statistically. I know John Brooks leads leads so far for defensive actions because um, I looked it up the other day, and then of course um, Clint Dempsey leads in terms of. Uh, shots created, which isn't a surprise either. Uh, you know, really just wanted to build out this this thought process that um, number one, John Brooks looks to be otherworldly and might be the best thing that Klinsman has done his entire time here um, is recruiting John Brooks. Uh, second of all, and this is my larger point, I still believe that Clint Dempsey isn't done. Uh, either in MLS or on the U.S. men's national team. So, and, and just because you're creating a lot of shots doesn't necessarily prove anything. Um, I think it just leads to uh, a theory. I don't know if that's right or not. You, you can parlay that into how we're really kind of disjointed tonight. Oh, I was just pausing to letting you hang there. Um, just to show you how it feels, Harrison. It's good to I, bomb. It's good to bomb, as you know, in comedy, for instance, because well, you know, I was that's unsupportive. how we learn. Was, so, so you're unsupportive, um, being very unsupportive of my stand-up. Uh, you know, uh, you know, while while it hurt me, I, I also appreciate it. So I was returning the favor. <laughs> uh, I, I like how you compared your bombing to my analysis. That that great, super. Uh, that's. So I, I put something out on Twitter uh, earlier today, and I thought it would be an interesting talking point to kind of end the show, end the short show on, and that is uh, Christian Pulsic and getting time in MLS. So I kind of threw it out there trying to figure out who has been teenagers on attacking teams that have uh, – excuse me, let me rephrase that. Who have been teenagers that have played in an attacking role – and gotten significant minutes, and I put the the benchmark at a thousand because uh, I felt like that was at least semi significant, right? Um, over the last five years, who are some of the people that that have done it, and would Christian Pulsic uh, be in that grouping? 
And looking at it, I kind of came up with a few names that I, I'm sure you might even come up with others. Uh, there's Fa Fabian Castillo, um, Diego Fernandez, Juan Aguadelo. What's the there's no heart. What's the um, what's the range? The date range on this? The last five years. I uh, see. So Nahara was was. Oh, Andy Nahara. That's a good one. I had forgotten about that. Was that six years ago though? I think Nahara might have been. Yeah, but I think that that just kind of that that's I think that's still that's roughly on the cusp, right? Um, Jack McInerney was pointed out, I think, by some I forget who threw that one at me. That one was a good one. Um, Matt Doyle threw out uh, Eric Ayuk um, from Philadelphia and also kind of parlayed that into the whole um, Christian Pulsic probably would have ended up with the union had he been a homegrown player. Well, no, I think there's something to be discussed here. Why aren't more teenagers here? Because uh, Matt Doyle brought up Ayuk. Um, I can't think of any more. Um, and it's something I've written on, that fact that, especially with the Galaxy, there aren't young players uh, don't seem to be getting onto the field despite the Galaxy producing them. Um, whereas you know, a lot of these teams that we, you know, uh, with Nahar, that's a D.C. team, um, you know, not a lot of star power on, on that team. Um, uh, Fagundes, same thing when he was coming up. Uh, yeah, but Fagundes got, like, and, and I didn't realize this until I realized, started digging through at seven. Uh, 17 he got 700 minutes at 18 he had over 2000 at 19 he had over 2400 i mean so i like fagundes got some serious minutes even though he wasn't consistently starting uh, and in that uh in that role that we kind of all projected within our mind that we thought that he should be playing he still got some good minutes and he still was a pretty uh significant played a very significant role within those revolution teams uh, over the past few years. Right. Um, yeah, and my point is that, that those revolution teams um, were not in, were in a position where they could do that because they weren't necessarily talented at the time. Like, the, the revolution were experiencing a down period when that happened. Yeah, um, yeah, I believe yes, Nahar was... Uh, yes, was no, I, I feel like they, 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 took, they went ahead and they did it they did kind of like what the Milwaukee Brewers are doing this year is they said, all right, we got some really talented people, right? We're just going to throw stuff at a wall and we're going to see what sticks. And Fagunda is kind of stuck and they consistently put him out there. And I feel like yeah. they, they actually landed like Lee Wynn. They, they landed some really significant pieces from their, from, uh, you, they landed a core basically out of it. Cause they gave yes. Caldwell time. They, you know, they, they build sig uh, a significant, amount of their team by just kind of allowing them to have a down year right well that was that was my point that because of, so when um one of the things that because uh, i had an argument a separate argument about this um uh where people were saying that they weren't some people were saying they weren't really buying it uh that Pulisic couldn't you know break onto an mls team uh you know maxwell said the unicorn Pulisic is a unicorn unicorns play i think it's completely team by team and I think I agree. those teams, and I, and I, just from following the Galaxy closely, I could tell you, Pulisic would have a hard time if the Galaxy produced him. I do not think Bruce Arena would immediately put him above a McKee or a Leggett. I yeah, just don't. Yeah, I, I think he would the very so ease them in. And I don't I think, think that, that has to do. I don't think that. I think that has to do more with who coaches the Galaxy. I think the same thing would happen uh, if he was down in Houston. 
I think the same thing would happen if he was in San Jose, and it has nothing to do with the talent distribution within the mm-hmm. league. I think if he was in Seattle, he would be getting significant minutes right now. Yeah, well, absolutely. Seattle's bench is like all children. Well, uh, not exactly. children. well that's that's kind of the point is they're going through their exactly. own their own shifting. Uh, the difference is that I, I feel like at least with some of uh, the exploits of uh, New England and Philadelphia they went ahead and went really super young and talented, uh, you know, Zach Pfeffer and, and company, uh, Eric Euk. They, they gave these guys opportunity to kind of grow into roles, whereas uh, some, of the, some of the players that are in Seattle aren't necessarily – they're on the youngish side for MLS. They're not necessarily on the youngish side for – uh, the world, you know, uh, Pfeffer was what, 18, 19 last year, you know, Yuk 19, uh, Diego Fagundes was younger. Uh, he was 17 when they were first starting to give him minutes. So, you know, was he 17 or 16? Cause they signed him at, 15. no, he was, he was 16 when he signed and he was given, no, I'm pretty sure he was 15. Was he? I know he had his first minutes at 16. So, uh, oh, he might, he had, maybe it was like borderline, like he was turning in a couple months. Uh, but yeah. That's uh, you got the thing is I think the league is getting harder and harder for kids to break into and and but as you are saying, um, you know, coach by coach, team by team, and some rosters are harder to break into than others and it you know it's unfortunate that with the galaxy the coach there um is sort of blocking a youth movement when um and it could be partially the ownership when that happens to be one of the brightest um, development points we have in the U.S. in terms of academy, youth system, talent coming through. Um, but we do also have FC Dallas on the other side of that who is putting almost all of their ba- eggs in that basket. Um, unfortunately, they're also a team that doesn't have the money of the Galaxy, so they don't have a USL2 team. So they can't give as many minutes as they would like to those players, but they are getting them MLS minutes. So... It is, um, I think there is some truth to Klinsman's, um, to what Klinsman said. I think there's also a little bit of hyperbole to it. But I think the underlying message from it is more true than false. And that is, we're not giving enough uh, of a chance. And this is something we talked about after we dropped out of the, uh, uh, we failed to qualify for the Olympics. I pointed out that if you look at um, the U23 teams, that uh, the last two U23 teams and the number, and then you look at the 2008 team, which was the last one to qualify for the Olympics. That team, um, you know, you had Holden, Failhaber, um, Kleschen, Parkhurst, Wynn, um, um, I'm trying to think of the Altador, uh, uh, actually not Failhaber, well, he was on the team, but my point is everyone there except for Failhaber was uh, McCarty. All of those guys were starting in MLS. They were all starters, um, you know. And so even when we're talking about like 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, it used to be the norm in MLS that you would get minutes from those guys. But that's becoming less, it seems to me, that's becoming less true. And if you I, look... Yeah, I, I disagree. I, I, I very much disagree with... The, well, there is a drop-off in our talent. Uh, the, the talent of the level... The, 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 the average, minutes that our 20-year-olds are getting... Age 
the average age given to players under uh, the average amount of minutes given to players under 25 has increased over the last five years. It's increased every year for almost every team. The difference. See, that's interesting. The, the the real thing the only di- the 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 real takeaway for this and, and this is the the median for the uh, average age for uh, and median for every team, um, per, well on the whole I shouldn't say every team uh, as a whole has trended downward. Uh, you know I did I did the research this past off season to to look at it myself and that's and that was one of the big things that that I took away. So uh, Ole was really just a golden generation then. I don't think it was a golden generation. I think that the investment that MLS play, the MLS teams are, are investing and in giving those those minutes to are younger Argentinian, uh, Colombians, uh, Mexicans. Ah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. That's not just very good point. US. Very good point. So that's, that's extremely that's, good point. I think that's really where the minutes are being given to and i it, it's not about who is american and should be getting more minutes and it's not about who's mexican it's just that's the matter of fact that's that's the reality of, of where mls teams are and i i did not i i will uh pretense all all this with the fact that i did not uh break this out uh according to age and nationality only age so i that's my theory um i i do feel like that's a pretty accurate assessment though yeah i i i can see that um there definitely does seem to be a a trend and even if the minutes are going up that you can also look at quality minutes like maybe the, the amounts of players that are getting there are they getting enough starting minutes consistently like there could be a lot going on there but it's definitely something to look further into because um, I think there is sort of a youth development. Um, there is a problem at the MLS level. And yes, we have these giant issues of pay-to-play and all that stuff in the pyramid lower, but I think we, we're still dealing with levels at the top too. And they're kind of, um, they're kind of going uh, almost uh, untalked about. Um, and, you know, Mexico re- went through this recently and Mexico, um, reformed their system and um people have sort of connected um the recent spring um the this golden generation that they've had um sort of to that and you know maybe mls should maybe look at that model but at the same time mls is under no obligation to grow the national team no i agree with you so here's my question and, and this is actually more of where i wanted to go with it should should and this will happen as we get more. Uh, we have optostats for NASL and 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 soon USL hopefully uh, shortly behind. Should we start con- seriously considering some of those players, such as uh, who is it, Carlos Ramirez, who plays for uh, plays for um, uh, Minnesota? I mean, these are you know young guys that yeah maybe they play in a lesser league, but. Um, should, should the U.S. men's national team be looking for players that have talent in, in lower U.S. leagues? Or is it just, hey, if you can't play and make it in MLS, you probably aren't good enough for the U.S. men's national team? I think that the youth teams should be looking um, there. I think the youth teams... I mean, uh, it seems I, I, I agree. I think I, I think if I played for the U21 team, I would be trying like hard to get on a starting team for NASL rather than play, uh, try to tr- attempt 
to get some type of casual minutes from an MLS team. That's just my thought process. And I'm, I'm sure there's a valid argument against that. Uh, yeah, it's also free. Um, Haji Wright went through this route. and he, uh, Yeah. Well, and, he did, well, he did he did that for a separate union. Right. And, well, I was going to bring up that reason. That Haji Wright did it. Um, Galaxy offered him a contract. I believe it was 17. Uh, he declined it because he did not want to sign with the Galaxy because with MLS because MLS has a history of making um, it kind of difficult for transfers sometimes to go out of MLS. So his ultimate, he had suitors in Europe, but he couldn't transfer um, till he was 18 to Europe. So what's he going to do with that extra year? He certainly doesn't want to sign with a league that could restrict his transfer. So why not sign with NASL, who is not going to restrict his transfer? So that was the reasoning there. So yeah, NASL could definitely become the renegade league because we don't have the financial rules. We don't have these, you know, you know, rules, these um, roster rules that restrict various things. And it could create a sort of mixing ground or at least experimentation for youth. I think a, a great example is what Tampa Bay's been doing over the last two years, three years, to where they've picked up all these old, uh, and I hate saying the word failed, U23 prospects. Um, I don't want to see they fail. That ne- they just didn't necessarily live up to the booking that that people might have thought they would. But you know, they've collected a few of them over the last few years. Some of that's due to Thomas Rongen, and, and even after that, they they've still you know they've still continued to find players that had. Uh, some prospect and, and had some upside still uh, relative to to where they were and I think that that's a, a brilliant way to go about that now the Rowdies not haven't necessarily been you know um, the best NASL team but they they they've been relevant within the the scope of the league and within the their um, within their ecosystem I mean I, I don't I don't think by any measure that you consider them to be a bad team, but I, I think that they've been competitive and I think that they've found an alternative way to go about it. And I think more NASL teams that aren't <laughs> like the Cosmos, uh, it, it would be really smart to, for them to continue down this route and, and find uh, USL or excuse me, US uh, U17 and, you know, 21 or 23 type players. Well, the right? Cosmos had Zatella and they had, um, uh, well, Haji right. So, I mean, I think the Cosmos of ours are also doing it. I think they're more supplementing their roster through it, which, I mean, that's a different discussion in and of itself. Well, the Rowdies aren't exactly playing Adu. Um, now, Adu yeah, doesn't well. play for most of the teams he he signs for, so that's probably on Adu. But, uh, you know, <laughs> there's that. I, I wasn't just talking about... Um, a, a, oh, oh, Fred, okay. Yeah, so... Well, who I, else have they signed, um, just out, out of curiosity? I don't keep up that much with the routings. Once I see well, that... Well, which is kind of funny because you're just... We were just mocking them the other day. and <laughs> Or you you not mocking them, but you were... Uh, you you made fun of uh, Drew for coming on and uh, picking on us. But uh, Danny Moenga, uh, who... I guess he's not a U23 by any means, but he's uh, somebody that was considered uh, higher up... Uh, kind of an interesting prospect... Uh, Khalif Al Hassan, who's a former uh, uh, Timber, yeah. yeah. Um, Jeremy Hall, Ben Sweat, uh, and then of course Matt Pickens, uh, who what I thought it was a really interesting uh, pickup because you know I didn't think he was done in his career and definitely was able to extend it through an all 
alternative uh, method. So, I, I, you know what? The, these are just uh, maybe they're not U23 or U, you know, as I was mentioning, but uh, they're certainly MLS style prospects that just uh, didn't catch on for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, Ryo OKC right now um, is a who's who yes. of where are they now? Um, yeah. yeah. It's. Uh, just uh, I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, the NASLs are really Michael interesting. Fin- uh, what is it? Uh, is Michael uh, fin- uh, Finley? Robbie Finley? Robbie Finley, that's what is it was. He, is he with Rob- Ryo? Michael Finley was a guard, I think, for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, too many names upstairs. Uh, yeah, and then you also had Michelle. Um, I, I don't know why Michelle would go there. I can't imagine that they had a really strong um, swipe right program, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that won't ever ever get old. Um, no, th- there's a few teams that are, that are kind of doing it. I think Indy Eleven's got a uh, got a few on their on their roster, so it's good to see that NASL is starting to. And I'll be really interested once we get um, spring and uh, fall data. To kind of play. Right. The, the Clausura and Apertura that is <laughs> NASL's weird season. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know what they're all doing there with that, but yeah, it'll be kind of interesting. So I, I think that's it. I didn't yeah. have anything else. No, I don't. Well, I have one more joke. All right, all right, please, please. I'll be supportive. Okay, let me do that. So, how arbitrary is a sandbox? Like, is there really a point to the box part? I mean, it's just dirt. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all night. I I, I didn't purposely pause. Um, But, like, yeah, there is a point to the box because it keeps all the sand. And then, of course, you know, you can put a tarp. Where's the sand going to go? Where's the sand going to go? But it's not about where the sand will go. You just said you were going to be supportive, Harrison. You just said you were going to be supportive. Uh, I'm trying to workshop, um, you know. It's about well, Great jokes. You, you could do, you could do something about cat poo, and that's where the sand goes. <laughs> because I mean, like that's why we have a sand box. Like that's why there's an actual box, so we can put a tarp over it uh, and, and actually strap it in, so that a cat can't get down underneath and, and put its little presence in there for my kids. Okay, how about this one? Dick Clark once said, "Music is a soundtrack of our lives." You know, well, no shit. What what else is gonna be the soundtrack of like like car honking and stuff? It's a stupid quote. <laughs> you, you never failed to impress me in some way, sir. <laughs> that was the worst of the three, but okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. All tip right. your waiters. <laughs> yeah, please. Please tip somebody today. Um, I will be at um, CenturyLink on Thursday. Please come out and say hi to me. Uh, ticket 123, row KK, seat 13. Also, my season ticket seat. Um, so, yeah. Please come on by, say hi. Be like, hi, I'm X, and I listen to your podcast. Or you could just throw stuff at me. Uh, and, and I'll be at the Hollywood Improv. like Not in the Hollywood Improv, like adjacent to the Hollywood Improv. Maybe performing for the, uh, the people waiting in line to go in for the Hollywood Improv. But, yeah, yeah, catch me there. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Kai Kamara and uh, see you later.
Shut your face, high school jerks. We're about to show you how this works. Are we cool? Laser beams. We're about to awesome all your dreams. And you'll say, what are you, some kind of computer? And we'll say, a cyborg bitch.